0: Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Datino, Schmelk, you, 201-939-4513. That's the phone number if you want to get involved in the show. We'll be taking your phone calls all show long talking Giants football and also your tweets at hashtag Giants chat. I already saw a couple come in that I want to make sure I get to over the course of the program. Paulie Dots, how are you? Hello, John. It's uh, an incredible week of weather here in the New York City area.
1: We we had a Well, July. Monday
0: must have been like... Like, heaven for you.
1: It was like July 4th weather, right? When it was 93, did it reach?
0: I'm not sure. If I, I know it was at least 88, 89, but it certainly felt like August training camp, not May OTAs. It was awesome, wasn't it? And a little a little warm for me. All but right. I'm not going to complain about it.
1: But we're, we're talking like um, low 70s all week now. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm Yesterday, I'll tell you, it.
0: it was chilly out there with the wind. It was in the 60s and it was windy, but it felt like probably upper 40s with the wind out there. Um, and the one thing I'll throw out there, and I talked about a little bit in, in the practice report, I'm not sure if you had a chance to take a look at what exactly happened there, mm. but the one thing that, that that's kind of impressed me and one thing I worried about, I never worried about Daniel Jones' ability to make all the throws, Right. but he's thrown a pretty tight ball with some good spin that's cut through the wind yes. pretty well in, in the first two practices, which is one of the things that I wasn't sure about because we've never seen him do it, mm-hmm. but I was pretty impressed with how his ball... Went through the wind, which, frankly, if you don't throw a real good spiral, you're going to have issues with that. But I thought he looked pretty good throwing through the wind the first two days. I am
1: so glad you brought that up, John, because I didn't get to see yesterday's practice. I only saw uh, the day before. And the
0: wind was worse on Tuesday than it was on Monday.
1: Okay. Monday, I thought it picked up a little bit in the second half. Mm -hmm. But the first half of practice, there wasn't much. And during rookie camp, there was not zero. Right. So, you know, I've had people ask me off air and off Twitter even, you know, what do you think about Daniel Jones throwing the ball? What's the arm strength look like? And I said, Well, here's the thing the arm strength looks fine to me. I'm not, I'm not, I have nothing to complain about, but I need to see him throw in the Meadowlands wind, you know, because throwing now as compared to throwing in November and December in this region of the country, specifically in this part of Bergen County, can be really tough. And so, I, I need to see. Now, what I, I agree with you on, he's got a nice spin and rotation, nice spiral. Ball seems to cut really, really well. Um, I like the fact that he changes velocity on his all his throws. He knows how to p- apply touch. He also knows when to zip it. And he also seems to have a nice trajectory on his long pass.
0: Oh, no, he, he puts a very nice arc on those passes. Okay, so... I agree with that. Those things will all help him when the
1: wind becomes a factor. But... The latter part of Monday's practice was the first time I saw any wind at all, and it wasn't even that much that could have affected his throws, and I didn't think it did. So I gave him another little checkmark as he is progressing in his pro career that I think he's going to be able to deal with it okay. I'm still not 100% sure. You said yesterday he did. That's good news for me. But, again, I really need to see how he does in November.
0: And again, I, I need to see, too, accuracy when under pressure. That, that to me, for him, and decision-making under pressure, and not necessarily when he's getting blitzed, but just in a game situation when you're worrying about guys being around well, you. Well that and, goes and, without saying. Correct. And, and, and that's really the most important thing. And, and like I said a couple weeks ago, my biggest thing with Daniel Jones was never going to be his throwing arm. I always thought it was good enough. The win stuff mm-hmm. was something I wasn't positive about. I feel better about it now than I did before. But it's how he makes decisions – when you know there's people around them, and he's in the you know, kind of stop of the moment type of situation, and how consistently accurate he is in those situations too. So that's something we're gonna have to. We're probably not gonna see until we get into game situations. But I think he's been fairly accurate so far on OTAs. I look forward to seeing him out there again uh, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. He, he did take some snaps with the twos on Tuesday. He had four plays during team where him and Loletta swapped, so it wasn't a ton but he had four plays, and I think they swapped one play during 7-on-7 seven seven too. So he did have some time with the twos, but right now, um, not a bit, I'm sorry, Alex Tanny. Alex Tanney is still the primarily the number two, but Jones did get a handful of snaps with the twos during OTA number two.
1: Yeah, I think it's very interesting the other day when uh, Pat Shermer was asked on Monday about the reps that Jones is going to get, and he did seem to indicate that the number two job is open. It's not automatically going to go to the veteran, Alex Tenney, who last year just just basically hoarded the accolades from Coach Shermer because as a veteran, Coach Shermer kept saying, well, I want a veteran in the room because he can go into a game on a moment's notice without any reps and get the job done. Well, I didn't get that sense from Coach Shermer the other day, John. It sounds like to me... Tani isn't as locked into that number two spot as he was last year.
0: I agree. I do think they would like to have him on the roster, and and here's why. A lot of people have made a lot of the whole Eli Manning mentoring Daniel Jones, and Lance and I talked a lot about this yesterday. I don't want to get back into it, but my point very briefly was that Daniel Jones is going to learn a lot from Eli watching him prepare to try to win games, right? He's going to be there. He's going to be a sponge. Eli's going to let him you know, be there and watch and observe, and it's Jones' job to do it. But – When he has additional questions, working on the side after practice, uh, working together on off hours, it could be Tanny that's as much of the quote-unquote mentor for him as it is Eli, if not more. Because Tanny, who's not preparing—you know, he's preparing to go in there and play if he has to, but he's not preparing to be the starter, which is different— he's going to have time to field additional questions, go out onto the field and work on stuff with him, go through extra tape with him one-on-one to maybe go through some of Jones' issues. And I know the coaching staff thinks a lot of Tanny and his acumen. Yeah. Um, he knows the plays and where people line up as well as the coaches do. In fact, he teaches some of the younger coaches, I think, some of that stuff. So they really like him in that way, and I think Tanny could be very valuable as, as much of a mentor for Jones as Eli Manning is.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely a good point, and it puts Kyle Loletta in a very precarious
0: situation. Well, look, if if he plays really well though, and the Giants think, "Oh, we might have a future quarterback on our hands," that's going to take precedence over the other stuff. But he's got to show that.
2: Yeah,
1: he he's he's going to have his work cut out for him because if they were to keep him, okay, and jettison the veteran, and not only do you, do you lose that what you're talking about, but now you also have a situation where if Eli goes down. You're talking about two inexperienced guys who have to go into a ball game, Right. And that could be a little touchy. I mean, especially if the Giants are in the middle of, of some kind of race, if they're winning some games and they're in the thick of it in the division, do you want to throw one of those two young birds into a game that could be critical to keeping you into a, a playoff race?
0: Correct. And, and and again, I said this yesterday, I'll say it again. How Tanny plays to me really doesn't matter what's going to matter is whether or not they think Daniel Jones is ready. And that's going to determine whether or not he's two or he's three to start the year. Yeah, If he shows them enough where they can trust him to go in and do it, they know what they have in Alex Tanney. Mm-hmm. But if they think that even if Tanny maybe has a teeny bit of an edge on Jones, they might think it's worth to make Jones the two just because of the experience of it. So Possibly. Jones is really going to be the one that determines where he goes. Uh, the other thing that we had a call on yesterday, and I kind of went through it, um, off the top of my head during the show, but I went back this morning and I went through it in more detail. We talked about what players are left on the roster from before Dave Gettleman showed up here. How many do you think are left? Ten. Fourteen. It's that many. I'm going to list you the players, though, and then you can, it's kind of almost more like ten, depending on how you count certain guys. Okay. Algic Rosas. Well, Eli, Eli Manning. <laughs> he counts. Janoris Jenkins, <laughs> yeah. Wayne Gallman, Paul Perkins, who kind of counts. He wasn't really active last year, but he's there, so that's five. Zach Diassi six. Chad Wheeler, seven. John Halapio, eight. Rhett Ellison, nine. Sterling Shepard, 10. Evan Ingram, 11. Avery Moss. Kind of counts, 12. Yeah. Yeah. B.J. Goodson, 13. Dalvin Tomlinson, 14. Okay, Those are so the 14 guys. So it's kind of 12, kinda 14, 12, depending on how 14, you look at yeah. it. I mean, look, It just shows you how big of a turnover there's been. And again,
1: for those people who are critical of Dave Gettleman and say, well, Omame didn't work out. Oh, you went with Flowers at right tackle and that didn't work out. Uh, for
0: the people who say that, I say to them, I'm not sure Gettleman gets criticism for flowers. I think the omame Stewart things are the two big ones I, that he gets I've, for.
1: I've gotten enough on Twitter that come after him for those uh, or, Yeah, I get that too. Believe it or not, first I do. of all,
0: that's as much the coach's decision as it is
1: Gettleman's. I understand, but you know, it, it was it was it was Dave's decision to stick with flowers to give him the chance to prove himself with a clean slate. Right. Dave explained that to us many times. Um, but here's my point: the guy renovated the roster, virtually ripped it down to the foundation. And it's like you can't have it both ways. If you rip the guy for making all the changes he made, well, guess what? When you make as many changes as he has, a percentage of them are bound not to work out because you're never going to be 100% on the changes you make. None of them. None of them are exact sciences. You can never say you're going to be 100%. Every single change is going to be good, except if you're Brian Cashman in this year's New York Yankees. Because that has worked out perfectly. He has a golden touch. So if if you're okay with leaving the roster as it was two years ago, well, then
0: you see how that did. The Giants were losing and not not a very good team. Well, we'll see now how these changes, what the results are. I mean, that that's what we're going to see now. Look, this is Gettleman's roster now. I mean, this is these are his guys. He has some that have carried over, but for the most part, this is his group now. Correct. You know, the the teardown is finished. The teardown concluded last season. Mm-hmm. This is the buildup. Correct. Now, it's not a finished product yet by any means. They're going to have a ton of cap space next year to make it a finished product. And uh, to me, I'm not making final judgment on what happens this year. That year's next year for me. Well, you're... It, well, you can start concluding next year. I'm not saying it's your final decision. Okay. But that's when you can start deciding all right, he finally had all these resources available to him. He's had three drafts. Now we can finally really see how this thing's come together. And there needs to be significant progress. John. That's how I look at it.
1: I equate it to a rookie coming into the league. Yeah, we a little always bit say sure. the third year is the breakout year, right? First two years, he's feeling his way. He's kind of making his way into the pro game. But by the third year, You kind of know what he is. He's either going to break out and be a legit player or things still aren't going so well and you question about exactly where he's headed. Well, I'm saying the same thing about the GM. And I think in most cases, it is a three-year process to really turn something around. You can't can't expect it to be less than that. No,
0: you can't. I mean, it's bad enough when they fire coaches after one or two years. General managers, you, you have to take a much longer view with a position like that. So to me... You want to see improvement this year. You want to see another step in the right direction. You want to see what his vision is coming into focus and understanding, all right, this is what he wants it to be. Now, maybe they don't have the talent to be there yet, but this is what he wants it to be. They're closer than they were before. Well, we we think that. We We think think that. that. We think that. Let's see what happens when they get on the field. They were three when he got here. They got to five last year. If they can get close to 500 this year, that's another step in the right direction. Then the next year, you sit there and you go, all right, now, now we need to make the playoffs. Now, it depends, too, if that's Daniel Jones starting, rookie quarterback, then the expectations for you know may, might change a little bit. But you still judge how he's built the rest of the roster, mm-hmm. how the defense is playing, how the receiver core is doing, whether or not the offensive line has, has taken the steps you need it to take. You know, is Saquon Barkley really the generational player you thought he was going to be? When he showed up last sure. year and the Giants drafted him. How does Daniel Jones do? Which is really, when all is said and done, when people think of Dave Gettleman's tenure, how Daniel Jones plays is going to be 90% of it. Fair or not? That's what it's going to be. Which you know, it may take a full decade to decide. Right. And no one's going to have that long to, to make that decision in terms of, you know, no one's going to be that patient. No. That's just no. the way it goes. No. But. Just something to keep in mind. So I thought that was interesting. I went back and I counted, and I had 14 guys there that were still left from he when from when he arrived. It was really more like 12, though, um, depending on how you count. Paul Perkins and um, Avery Moss. Avery Moss, correct. Yeah. Here was a good question that uh, Booker Daniels at Book D2, and you can send in your tweets to hashtag Giants Chat. We will get to him throughout the show. And I, this is a question that he sent in this morning. And I thought it was interesting, Paul. Um, he says you guys did a great job of using comps to help fans understand draft prospects. Are there comps you can make about the way that the Giants would like to play in 2019 based on the makeup of their roster? And I thought it was an interesting question. What do you think?
1: I don't know what the 53 is going to be yet. I, I, I see a 90 now. I don't even know. Is it 90 yet? Is he up to ninety? I'm um, not sure. I haven't counted. I have to. Look. Okay, he's getting, He's close to ninety. I don't think he's at ninety, but we're going to call it the ninety-man roster just for 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 uh, giggles. Okay. Uh, I think the roster shows you a quicker, more athletic, and speedier defense.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, well, I think we should separate it. Right. We can talk about offense, defense, and we can talk about the team together. Do you want to start on the defense? Well, yeah, because that's that, okay. to me, is still the biggest question. Okay, well, how do you think, if you want to compare this team to a, the way another team plays, or just in general, how would you want to compare what Betcher and Gettleman want this defense to look like?
1: Well, I think, I think the defense is incomplete right now because they don't have the proven pass rush. But what he has done, he has helped the rush defense— with the drafting of Lawrence, and he believes that Carter will continue to grow as a linebacker. He brings in Marcus Golden. You know, I, I think they're hoping for a healthy year out of uh, B.J. Goodson. And, and they've totally revamped the secondary to be speedier and more athletic. So I think the back seven, the back seven is better. But we still don't know about the pass rush. And that's the incomplete part, which I don't think, unless something drops out of the sky, John, I don't think the Giants are going to have a proven pass rush until next year, because they'll get somebody either in the draft and or free maybe, agency.
0: And maybe, maybe, or maybe not next year. Pass rushers are hard to find. Teams take a long time finding them. I get, I get that. I suspect though that that next year we'll
1: we'll be Whoa. able to find somebody who's more along the lines of a proven pass rusher. Ideally,
0: yes. I think that would certainly be the goal. Uh, here, Here's the – and I just thought of this comp now, and I know it's a different scheme, 4-3 versus 3-4. But if you watch the way the Minnesota Vikings play, where they like to press up, be very physical on the outside with the cornerbacks, play a lot of man-to-man. Yeah. They like to bring a lot of pressure with Anthony Barr from that linebacker spot. Yeah. He's not a down defensive lineman. They're good, very solid against the run you have guys on the outside that can that can rush the passer and you want to play man-to-man and you have a playmaking safety. You know, for them, it's Harrison. For the Giants, it would be Jabril Peppers. Yeah. I think just in terms of stylistically, in terms of how you want to play, in terms of speed, power, and being aggressive, I think that's not a bad comparison.
1: Yeah, it's not a bad idea to be what you want to be, but again, because Betcher just seems to really love that 3-4 so much.
0: No, but again, I'm not talking scheme. You know, I'm talking about the way the players play. See,
1: yeah, uh, philosophically speaking, or should I say, um, uh, what, what's a better word for it? S- uh, style and philosophy still involves 4-3-3-4, four, three, three, four, so there's got to be a better word for it. Uh, ten- tenor? Dead tenor, maybe. Tendencies, you know? Maybe. Um, the flavor that they want to play? How about that? Uh, that? That would make sense to me. I understand your point. I just have a problem with the fact that, you know, and I'm 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 a core four three guy. Obviously when Parcells was here, I was a core three four guy because of Lawrence Taylor and Carl Banks. But 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 as as when Taylor left and the Giants became a four three team, you know, obviously with the personnel, unless you have an all world guy like Lawrence Taylor, you, you have to figure out what it is you're gonna be. Right now, because the Giants don't have superstar proven linebackers. I'd actually rather them be a 4-3. That's where James Betcher and I differ. I, I don't particularly care for the base 3-4 with what the Giants have right now. I would much rather have emphasized, and this is why Cleland Farrell was a big deal for me in the draft, because I would rather have somehow taken him somewhere or taken another defensive end, a stud defensive end somewhere, and and turned this into a 4-3. But that's not what James Betcher wants to do. So it's kind of hard for me to... To delve into that one, John. But I do like the flavor that you're
0: talking about. Okay, how about offensively? And you're going to laugh at this? Do I know how I think the Giants want to play offensively? Oh, I I think I know exactly what you're going to say. I think they want to play like the Dallas Cowboys. No question about it. Do you agree with me? Absolutely. And it's hilarious for me to say that because they hated Cowboys, but I think that's how they want to play. With one exception.
1: They want to throw the ball more to Barkley than they do to Zeke Galloway. Do you know how many catches Zeke had last year? I don't know. Seventy seven. Well, Barkley had ninety one.
0: I know, but it's still a lot. It's 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 more than people think. Fair enough. Fair enough.
1: But I absolutely I agree. agree. I think
0: Barkley is more of a guy you're gonna split out wide if Zeke will get most of his catches out of the backfield. Yeah, he's Barkley not going will be inside. Correct, absolutely. So but I, I agree with you. Yep, you and look,
1: philosophically, if you remember when the Cowboys made the playoffs a few years ago when DeMarco Murray was there. They knew they had a suspect defense. So what did they do? They controlled the ball with a stout offensive line. They pounded it an awful lot. High percentage passes, you know, milked the clock, uh, have terrific special teams, which, by the way, the Giants have. Fiegel said, according to the quantitative analysis, the Giants were the number three team on special teams last season. So, So check that box. To be perfectly frank with you, that, that Cowboy philosophy, that Cowboy style that they employed a few years ago when they were a playoff team, that is certainly a blueprint for what the Giants team would need to
0: do if they're going to be a playoff team. And by the way, throw on top of that, and this is kind of funny, it just popped in my head now, look at how the Cowboys built their defense. It's all draft picks. Mm-hmm. Their entire secondary are, are draft picks. Yep, Jalen Smith, Van Der Esch, draft picks. Yes, it the is. Demarcus Lawrence, draft pick. You know, they added Robert Quinn in the trade, but everyone else are guys that they develop through the draft, and I think that's another way the Giants want to do things on defense. I would agree with that. And and look,
1: part of that is because of economics. Part of that is simply because if you want to get younger and quicker and more athletic, you've got to get those guys coming out of the draft because the older players, for the most part, are not going to give you those type of traits.
0: One other thing I want to throw out there, I finally found the tweet from our buddy Sam Monson over at Pro Football Focus. Yeah. They went back and they tracked what percentage of the snaps teams were in base defense in 2018. What percentage do you think For every team it was? in the league? Yes, an average across the league. What would you think the league average was for percent of time they were in base defense?
1: Probably somewhere in the
0: neighborhood of
1: 30? 25%. Even lower than
0: that. That's why the whole 3-4, three, 4-3 four, four, three thing to me, it's not that important anymore. Yeah. It's a quarter of the snaps.
1: I get it. It's important
0: on those base plays, but get good football players, and you'll figure out how to use them. And you know what? I've got no problem with that statement. And that's why you still like Clown Farrell. It makes sense. Love Cleo Farrell. I know you did. <laughs> Big Blue Kickoff Live he is. So did p- Mike Mayock. He did. I, I think more than you, if that's possible. <laughs> yeah. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light, 201 939 4513, and on Twitter, it's hashtag GiantsChat. Make sure you get in touch with us that way as well. Uh, we're going to get to your calls here, and let's start off with our buddy Carl in Florida, who will lead us off. Hey, Carl.
3: Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Um, enjoy your show. Thank you. Um, most most of the questions so far have been about uh, the the draft and the players that drafted, but I want to talk a little bit about the undrafted free agents. Um, as I was looking at um, the tackles that were drafted or the particular tackle that was drafted, and I think it's the seventh round, Big George, mm-hmm. out of Kentucky, I went back and I was looking at some of their games just to see how he was playing, and the player that stood out for me while looking at Big George was their tight end. J.D. Conrad. J.D. Conrad.
1: C.J., yep. Um,
3: I thought he looked fantastic in the games that uh, Kentucky played, and he played well alongside Big George. Uh, So your impressions on whether you think he'd be a good fit, especially in light of the fact that I think Evan Ingram is probably going to be playing out more as a wide receiver, and they need good blockers. And this kid, from what I saw, has some speed and can catch the ball and can block. He's known for blocking. But then I read lately that Eric Dungey apparently is also uh, being given some reps at the tight end position. So your thoughts on the group of tight ends and whether C.J. Conrad and Lord Dungey could be a good fit with this
1: group? Look, coming out of rookie camp, John, to tell you, I always pick a dark horse. Every rookie mini camp for a guy who's going to make the team or certainly at least be practice squad guy. And you've picked a lot of tight ends over the years, Uh, by the way. uh, They tend to be guys I look at a lot, and my guy this year I couldn't pick Dungy. I disqualified him because he's a Swiss Army knife. He's kind of a special kind of guy, and besides, he's not a sleeper because everybody wrote about him. So who was my guy this year? C.J. Conrad. He is cut out of granite. Okay, let's make no bones about that. The dude is absolutely muscle bound. He shows fluidity. Uh, He shows soft hands. I need to see contact. I need to see pads on him at this level. I've, I've, I've watched some of the tape. You're right. I looked at some of the Kentucky video. I like what I see. But I need to see him do it at this level. And uh, I'm very intrigued. I'd I, love
0: to see him make it. I need to go back and watch some more Kentucky offense. i, I got to watch him in Big George more. I've not watched a ton of him. So he's, I, tough, I, no, I he's,
1: tough. he's tough, John.
0: No, He's tough. He's tough. Just for the people that don't know his numbers, he's six four, two forty eight. 248, uh, that's what he was listed at Kentucky. I can tell you what the Giants have him listed as uh, on their roster. He comes in at 6'4", 246, according to NYG. Uh, he had 30 catches as senior at Kentucky for 318 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, earlier than that, he never had more than 20 catches in a season. So you would consider him much more of a blocker than you would anything else. Yes.
1: This point. Well, to that's
3: me, what he's known for, to, But it might, and, and it appeared that they took him out of the games um, on passing down. Yeah. Whenever they threw the ball to him, he caught it. So yes. I, I, that's intriguing to me considering what the Giants are looking for. To in me, a tight end.
1: here's what's interesting. I don't know if they're going to keep a fullback or not, and I don't think you do either, John.
0: I'm thinking they are gonna keep Elijah Penny, but we'll see. I'll tell you something.
1: To me, CJ Conrad is like the Madison Hedgecock of tight ends.
0: Because uh, is that supposed to be a good thing? It
1: is. It is because he's a stud. He's a he's a very physical player who is wide. He's got some some width to him and power and strength to him. Is he also crazy? Uh, I wasn't going there. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to go from a physical perspective. Okay, that's fine. I thought you were talking about the whole package. And and it's, quite honestly... I love that as if he was a little wacky. I know he was. But but even when you list his vitals, you could see him sure. lining up as an H-back and taking the role as a lead blocker. Absolutely. So anyway, I'm glad you brought up Conrad because I've talked about him on three other shows before. He's my dark horse for the roster.
3: I hope he makes it because I really like him. I like what I see on tape.
0: All right, appreciate the call, Carl. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you, pal. The other guy that's interesting to me, Paul, is I don't know if the Giants quite know how they're going to use him yet. Jake Carlock, number 47. Mm -hmm. He's listed as a defensive back at 6'3", 225. Looks like a strong safety to me. He lined up as an edge rusher during OTAs. I know,
1: and I didn't understand
0: that. No, it's crazy. That's why I'm like, they have to see something with this kid. He's, not from a, he, he's a guy that not a lot of people talked about in the draft. He's out of LIU LIU Post, which is now part of the LIU Blackbird program, Long Island University. Well, now the
1: Sharks. Well, oh, LIU about, Sharks.
0: Oh, they're the Sharks now? They've changed their name. They're not the Blackbirds anymore. No. The is, LIU Sharks. Is black no longer going to be their colors either? No. Oh. Sorry. Well, it is what it is. Brooklyn's not going to be happy about that. They're the LIU um, Sharks now. Anyway, so, uh, you know... Long Island Post. That's where he played football, which is now again part of the LIU Brooklyn, mm-hmm. you know, joint campus thing that they're doing now. They'll all be Division One programs, and again, he's 6'3", 220, But they will wind him up as a pass rusher on in in on nickel and third down. I did so, not
1: understand that. He looks small in that spot. No, he, he looks he, he
0: looks like a strong safety, right? He is. is it does look small. The guy is small. But look, we we've seen two hundred twenty five pound linebacker. I mean, Telvin Smith was two twenty five when he came out, right? Yeah. To me. Maybe practice squad. I can't see how he makes the 50 I'm not calling him my dark horse. He's interesting because he's different. Yeah. Oh,
1: (laughs) that's for sure. And if he goes out there and he makes plays, especially on special teams. That's where he's going to have to make his money. They'll find a place for him on campus somehow.
0: No question. 201-939-4513. Dan in Brooklyn. He's up next. Hey, Dan.
3: Hey, guys. What's up, Dan? Hey, Paul. Yeah, I'm probably the only one, but I don't think Daniel Jones is going to see the field during the regular season. And my reason to saying that is because we have the offensive line, I think, is going to keep Eli right. I'm excited about Golden Tate and Corey Coleman coming back. So I think the offense is going to be the strength of the team. As far as the defense, I think it's up to the secondary, depending on how the secondary, how they, uh, how they blend. So what do you guys think about
0: that? Dan, I agree with your general premise. Here's the trick. And this is why when people ask me, you know, how does Eli stay on the field? And my answer is twofold. One, he has to play well, which is the start of everything. Because if he's playing poorly, the team wins games. And be healthy. Which, of course. Which I don't think is plausible this year, by the way. If Eli plays poorly, this team's not going to win a lot of games. They're just not. The way they're structured, it's not going to happen. So he needs to play well. But the team also needs to win to a certain extent, and here's why. They're not going to punish Eli in Week 6 if he's losing a bunch of games 38-31. But if you get to Week 13, 14, or 15, even if he's playing well, but the team is mathematically eliminated from postseason contention, then they're going to want to get Daniel Jones some run and a look. So it's not going to be, oh, we got to get Eli out of here. He's playing poorly. It's going to be, well, yeah, Eli's playing well, but we spent the sixth overall pick on this guy. We're not at a playoff contention. We want to give him playing time. So that's why if Eli wants to keep Jones on the bench for all 17 weeks, he needs to play well, and the team needs to win to the point where they're in playoff contention through Mm -hmm. December. Yeah,
1: And that second part, of course, Eli doesn't have a lot of control over. I have a question
3: for you guys, too. Um, How how is DeAndre Baker looking at OTAs along with uh, Sam Bill? How those two guys
0: look? I think Sam Beals looked really good. I, I, you know, they lined them up with the first team, and I'm like, oh, wow, that that's throwing that a lot at the kid right away, mm-hmm. right? And... Look, I'm not tracking every one of his coverage routes. I've seen Sterling Shepard beat him a couple times. I'm not surprised Sterling Shepard beats a lot of people yeah. in these in these practices. But he moves well. He's big. Uh, he got his head around on an Eli Manning pass on a fourth down play in the first OTA that turned into a pick. He tipped the ball to to, Peppers. to DeBrow Peppers for the interception. I think Beals looked pretty good. Uh, he got beat on a deep post for a touchdown by, by Shepard in, in, in OTA number two. But the fact that he looks healthy, he's moving around well, and he doesn't look out of place to me as a win. I like that. Baker's with the twos. Here's the one thing with Baker that I worry about. Guy's got to get his hands off guys down the field. He's very grabby. And, frankly, a lot of the younger guys have been grabby in the second. There's been a lot of penalties. DPI, defensive holding, Mm -hmm. illegal contact. And that's something these young guys coming out of college have to get fixed. We saw with Eli Apple early in his Giants career. He kind of corrected that as he went along a little bit. But these young guys have to not be so handsy down the field and that's something frankly he had a little bit of an issue with at Georgia too. So that's something that I'm worried about with Baker a little bit. otherwise he presses and when he presses and here's the other problem too Dan, in these OTAs, you can't press correct right you can't yeah. you can't do bump and run coverage and that's what Baker's good at. Mm-hmm. so he has to play off coverage which immediately puts him at a disadvantage so until until they put on the pads, and they're allowed to push and shove and press at the line of scrimmage and have contact, I'm going to hesitate passing judgment on what type of player Baker's going to be. I think he's one of these guys that's going to look a lot better in games than he looks in practice. And I'll remind you of something, Dan, and Paul and I brought this up a lot. When the Giants brought Janoris Jenkins here, his first set of practices for the Giants, especially in OTAs, he stunk. He was getting toasted left and right, Mm -hmm. but the reason was simple. He's not allowed to press, and that's what Janoris Jenkins does. And I put Baker in that same category. So I'm not going to try to jump to too many conclusions until I see him in preseason games and in pads in training camp when he's allowed to have contact. That's how I look at it. I will add about Beal. I thought he was the star of Monday's practice. Of, of the first OTA? Well, we had our fact or fiction question, who is your standout player? And I went with Beals. So you had to. I, I agree with you. Uh,
1: and, and what I liked about it, and remember, we're talking helmets only, shirts and shorts, okay? But I like the angles he takes on the ball, his anticipation, his ball skills. I love the way he uses his length. I I just, he he didn't look and I, I know this is kind of a misnomer because he's a redshirt rookie, a
0: redshirt freshman, But he didn't look you overwhelmed. Will. You're right. 100%. Right? No, he didn't. He looked like he belonged, John. And as a guy that's very leggy and lanky, his change of direction was pretty good. Yes. Which is what you worry about for guys that are kind of long. They don't change directions well. I was pretty happy with his movement. So. Yeah. Very very
1: impressed with, with the first extended look that we've had from him, basically, because last year we got a blink of an eye before we got injured.
3: Thank you, guys. You guys have been helpful. No,
0: sure. no problem, Dan. Happy to help. And I will agree with your general overall point. The Giants' offense is going to be their strength this year, or at least it better. If it's not, it, we're going to have a long, long year. Well, offense and I do believe special teams. Sure. Yeah, they, they have some dangerous return guys. There's no question about it. You know, it. 100%. And we know the kicker's good. We know the punter's good. Correct. I think special teams in offense is going to have to carry this team
1: which by the way is for another way that that cowboys team won
0: oh yeah absolutely yeah they offense offensive yeah. special teams 100%. camouflaging a lot of the
1: defensive problems no
0: question yeah that you're talking about probably the last romo year slash the first prescott year right is what you're talking about sure yeah no, i agree with you 100 um i'm with you and that's how the giants are gonna have to win games a special this year and you look at it Guys, they might struggle a lot defensively early. You know, you got so many young guys and rookies getting their getting their feet wet. Could happen. You know, there's nothing like NFL games. The good thing is that at least offensively, you know, Eli's back as a starter, Barkley's back as a starter, Shepard's back as a starter, Ingram's back as a starter, jalapio's Hal- 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 back as a starter. Um, Solder's back as a starter. Hernandez is back as a starter. Zeitler has been in the league a long time. Remmers has been in the league a long time. You know, these are not guys that are going to, I don't think, start slow. They're an offense for the second year. You know, Golden Tate's a veteran. He knows what he's doing. I don't think the offense is going to take long to get going here. I don't. But I think the defense, it might be a bit of a pro- project moving forward at the beginning of the year. The
1: one thing that will help them a little bit is that they have added speed and athleticism specifically to the secondary. And
0: sometimes that can help make up for some mistakes. Well, look, look, I think the caller hit it, too. I think if the defense is going to overperform this year, it's going to be because the young defensive backs mm-hmm. make big improvements in the case of Jabril Peppers and in the case of the Grant Haley, who played last year a little bit, and in the case of the guys who haven't played yet, they just play well early. That's what the Giants need. Sure. 201-939-4513. Scott in New Mexico is up next. Hey, Scott.
4: Hey guys, how you doing today? Hi Scott, how are you? Good. Uh, I had a question. I was interested in your preliminary discussions about Jones and Tanny, and I'm sort of going to ask a political question uh, because I can't find the right word to ask. That's okay. uh, Haven't the Giants sort of painted themselves into a corner, and that they have to make Jones the uh, backup quarterback because he's a sixth pick overall? And the reason I mention that at all is. Alex Tanny, and I mentioned this on another show, has probably thrown six or seven passes in his whole NFL career. So I personally don't think in terms of him being a backup, even though you guys might. So, and Pat Shermer sort of addressed this a little bit. He said that it would be an open competition for the second. Well, Scott,
0: Scott, real quick. Scott, real quick. Yeah, Let me ahead. ask you. Let's say the Giants get to the first game of the regular season. The three quarterbacks sure. on their roster are Manning, Tanney, and Daniel Jones, right? Right. What's going to happen if. When they come out and at 11.30 on Sunday, September 8th at, well, not 11.30, it's a 4 o'clock game. So, at, you know, 2.45, <laughs> and At 2:45, they roll out their inactives for the game, and right. Tanny's active and Daniel Jones isn't. What's going to happen? Shermer will get one question about it after the game. He'll get another question about it on the Wednesday press conference after the game and then they'll move forward. So I don't think they've painted themselves into a corner. I think they can do whatever they want. Well, yeah, and I'm, I'm with John based, on this. I'm
4: basing it, John, on what Schirmer said. Uh, he said it was going to be an open competition for the second quarterback position. Sure, sure. But in, but it, but in the same uh, soliloquy he gave, he basically said uh, that it, although it's open, I want uh, Daniel Jones is going to get the most reps, and then I also want him to be uh, be able to start week one. So I interpret that as that he is going to be the backup quarterback to Eli Manning. I don't know any other way to interpret it. Well, just so I because he—if I'm reading that wrong—no, Scott, this comment.
0: you're right. He wants that to happen. I think in the Giants' ideal world, Daniel Jones plays well enough to win the number two job. But you always we always set to, the bar high. Yeah, but we have to. But we have to see if that actually happens. You, you always set the right. bar high, and quite honestly, here's the thing. And if I had to bet, by the way, I think Jones wins the job. But I don't. But but we don't know that.
1: Yeah, and, and you have to understand something. If it's week one, two, three, even four in the regular season, and you know, it doesn't matter if if the division gets off to a good start or not, even if the Giants are one and two, let's say, what's the worst they're gonna be? A game out of first place? If Eli right. goes down, they're gonna want Tanny in there because it's not too late for them to try to salvage that win and still maintain their spot in the race. You know, if you just throw Jones in there at that point, let's say it's week three of the regular season, you're a game out, and now all of a sudden you say Daniel Jones going to the 20-foot end of the pool. Well, that's a really rough spot. Remember when Eli was a rookie and they threw him in when he replaced Kurt Warner, and it was a disaster for about five
0: weeks. I think it depends how Jones plays in preseason, too. I think that's going to be the guide, Scott. And if you really want to try to figure out who's going to be the backup, look at how they play in preseason games one or two, and then look at how they divide the snaps in preseason games three and four, and I think that'll give you a hint as to which guy is going to be the backup in week one against Dallas. Okay. Uh,
4: one other point, uh, and I can take this off the air, but sure. uh, there's been a lot of talk about culture and changing the culture. Why the Giants actually, you know, uh, turned this whole last year of getting rid of a lot of players, etc., to create culture. But isn't it really talent that wins out? Because there's been teams that have gone to the Super Bowl, and I'll pick one, for example, the team that had Donovan McNabb and Terrell uh, Owens. Well, obviously, the culture there wasn't spectacular. And even Carolina wanted to get them, and, uh, when they went to the Super Bowl, the culture wasn't great. But Why they do you still say that? Got there. And I'm, I'm just wondering if talent is the more important issue. And, uh, you know, that's what really wins out in schemes and obviously good coaching rather than culture. And I just wanted to get your opinions on both of your opinions on how much effort, uh, you know, how much importance is actually put on culture rather than building, making sure you have the right players and the that's, right chemistry. Fair uh, question. For this to work. No, no, Scott, and,
0: very fair question. Appreciate the call. It's a balance. Look. If you bring in a bunch of great guys that all get along and they're saying kumbaya in the locker room, but they can't play football. No, it's not, it's not going to work. Right. It's not going to work. Um, you want guys that are good football players, but also build something inside that locker room where they answer as much to the coaching staff as they do to their fellow players. And there's a high standard that's set inside the locker room that's policed by the players themselves. And I think... That's what you're looking for. And if you have one or two really good players that, you know, maybe don't go down the party line and that sets a bad example, it influences young guys to maybe act like that. And that's how I think people talk about culture. And, you know, Landon Collins, I think, said the other day that he thought the Giants let him go because of a culture situation. I don't think the Giants not bringing Landon Collins back had anything to do with culture. I don't think so either. I don't think Collins was the culture problem. I really don't. Landon Collins, it
1: was a combination of injury history, financial considerations, and the fact that, quite frankly, the Giants did not have an appropriate safety to pair with him. Landon Collins is an outstanding box safety, okay? But without a free safety who can roam the field properly, he is not a good pairing with Curtis Riley. And quite frankly, he's not a good pairing with Antoine Bethea either.
0: Uh, look, I, I look at I go back to what we talked about at the time. It, it, it's production per dollar, and you put a value on a mm-hmm. guy in a passing league that is a better box player and tackler than he is a coverage guy, and I, I understand not wanting to dole out major resources in a situation like that. So that's that's what I got for you. Two hundred one. Look, so so it's a balance. It's important to get the right guys in here. You want to you know set set the right conditions in the locker room. That does count, but if the guys can't play. It doesn't mean a hill of beans. James in New Jersey's up next. Hey James.
4: Hey guys, how you doing? James, uh, I, knew I, you I, I knew I,
0: I knew I, I knew I was gonna get one call about Gerald McCoy today. It might as well be you. What's up?
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey
3: guys. Um, yeah, so I d I wanna start off by saying, um, my cousin, uh, a really big fan. He's a pop Warner coach, and I, you guys are his two best hosts, guys. Uh, Thank Jamal, all training him. His wife is actually having the kids, so it's a special shout out to him. Um also, uh the reason why I'm calling – you guys are talking about power on the line and speed. Do uh, you think the
0: Giants will be interested in uh, somebody like a Gerald McCoy? <sighs> Gerald McCoy is a really good football player. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he's as good as he used to be, but he's still a very good football player. Uh, the Bucks released him because of his ginormous base salary, which is what happens a lot in this league. Right. Which is by, by, the way, when people say, "Oh, you know, the salary cap, you can find a way to keep a player if you want. The salary cap really doesn't matter. No, it does. Otherwise, the Bucks wouldn't be cutting their best pass rusher two weeks after Jason Pierre-Paul is out for the year with a neck injury. So the salary cap doesn't matter. Anyway, that was a little rant by me. Um, <laughs> I, uh, uh, despite what I said before, I'm not sure Gerald McCoy is necessarily the best fit for the way the Giants scheme things defensively. He is a one-gap player. I think he's more of a traditional 4-3-3 technique. But again, in nickel, you can use him however you want. I I think it look, would Gerald McCoy make the Giants team better? Yes. Do I think it's it's a need based on the cost that he would probably uh come along with if the Giants signed him when you're trying to get playing time for Lawrence, B.J. Hill, and Dalvin Tomlinson? I'm not sure about that because all three of those guys in the those nickel packages are defensive tackles. So I don't think, given that he probably will have, you know, minimum, what, six or seven million you figure he's going to get, Paul? Probably. On the free agent market. Probably. I mean, Sue just got 10, right? Mm hmm. So I think McCoy's minimum getting six, seven, or eight. Given the Giants' roster con- construction, Paul, I'm not sure that makes a ton of sense for them. I don't think it does either.
1: And quite honestly, I think as you look at what the Giants have tried to do while turning over this roster and getting younger, by the way, and McCoy is not exactly a spring chicken. And he would be a good culture guy too, by the way. By all Understood. My, a great dude. Understood. But, but they've tried to get younger, especially uh, on defense. And you know what? They're really happy right now with the amount of money that they've saved putting themselves in good position for the cap next year. And remember, you can roll over whatever cap savings you have this year into next year's number. Which I think we all believe that that's going to be step three of the Giants' reconstruction, and every dollar they get, that's going to help them perhaps get a superstar pass rusher is going to be needed.
0: And Dave also talked about trying to carry money into the season too to sign for agents during the year and and, and things of that nature. So anyway, all right. thanks guys. Hey, appreciate sure. it, James. And again, look, uh, it's it's never a bad idea signing a good football player, but when you have to appropriate your resources. Um, the best way to get the biggest return on your investment—I'm not sure that's the way to go. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. Peter in Florida is up next. Hey, Pete.
5: Hey, gentlemen. How are you guys doing today? We're great. Hi. Excellent. Um, first off, I wanted to congratulate you guys. You guys have done an excellent job getting us fans through this off season. We really appreciate that.
1: <laughs> well, we're we're glad to have you aboard.
5: <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm about six months into this Twitter world, and I'm really enjoying these Twitter GMs. And there were two interesting points I wanted to throw at you guys and get your opinion. First question: uh, Fact or fiction? Is Janoris Jenkins going to be on the team week 16 at the end of the year?
0: Uh, fact. I believe he will be. Yes. I agree.
5: Okay, ten 4 uh, Second question, there was a post on John Dorsey's positional value chart, and I, I've never seen that before. I thought it was very interesting. Of course, quarterbacks up top with left tackle. What I thought was interesting was right tackle and slot corner were way on the bottom of that chart, as, as in it's not as important as, you know, as you go up, quarterbacks the highest. Do you believe that that is an old chart? Do you think that now that it's a passing league, now that right tackle is more important, now that slot corner is critical in this passing league, you think that probably isn't as accurate as it once was in your
0: back? I'll be honest. I have not seen this chart yet. I just Google searched it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to bring it up. Uh, oh, cool. Can you break it down for me exactly what it looks like? Only because I haven't sure. seen it before. so I'm unfamiliar with it as
1: well, so I, I really hesitate to say anything until I get a good look at it and, and study it okay. and think about it.
5: it. It's actually really cool. I've never seen it before either. Um, typically, it's, it's a triangle, and on the top of the triangle is the positional need or the the value of the position. So the highest on the top of the pinnacle of the triangle is most important position for a team. And then as you move down to the bottom, you know, it's not as value as this is important.
1: Look, I'll, I'll go back to, to football one oh one that George Young taught me many, many years ago and said, if you're going to be a playoff contender, you have to have four key component parts. And it seems like over the last few years, everybody in their and their mother seems to now finally have figured it out. You have to have, the uh, the pass rusher, you had to have the cover corner, you had to have the quarterback, and you had to have the left tackle.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, now well, uh, again, that, that goes back forever. Well, I'm going to give it to you right here. I have the chart. This is a good call. Yes, I I'd never heard of this before. So at the top of the pyramid is the quarterback, obviously. The next set, which is obviously near the top but a little thin, left tackle, primary corner, primary edge rusher. Okay, but that's the four we just talked about. Well, I'm saying, that's, that so far, 100%. percent i am with you. Yeah. Next group. He has nose tackle and number one wide receiver. Not sure I would put nose tackle in that group, but that's where he has it. I'm not sure I'd put number one wide receiver in the group. Mm, Okay, well, let's talk about the next one. In the next group, he has number two corner, strong safety. This must be for a 3-4 defense, I guess. Number two corner, strong safety, five technique, second edge rusher, inside linebacker.
1: Well, putting five guys on the same plane is kind of
0: next group hazy to me. Free safety, running back, right tackle, number two wide receiver, tight end, and then he has at the bottom three technique, nickelback, interior lineman, number three wide out, and then a bunch of role players.
1: Yeah, well, I will say this, uh, in answer to your question now that John's had a chance to look at that, to me, the nickelback is really, really low because the the, the, the slot guy is usually the nickel guy. Keep in mind, this was posted back
0: in 2015. So oh! It's, mm. it's then, you, about, then you know what? It's uh. about three or four years old. On the posting I found it on came from arrowheadpride.com when he was with the Chiefs, and it was from May 7, 2015. So I'm thinking maybe it's probably a little bit updated at this point.
1: Yeah, for, for me, at this point, I, I think that the slot receiver in the last several years has become much more important than it was uh, back in that day. So I would think if he had a chance to revise this, this pyramid, he would move the nickel corner who, who would handle the slot guy much higher. I mean, because we're seeing that the slot guys are converting the highest percentage of third downs of anybody in the league. Right. No, I think Things have changed a lot. Absolutely. You know, it's not my father's game anymore, John. <laughs> Us old
5: school guys. <laughs> we had to adapt a little bit.
0: Yeah. Anything else? <laughs> I nice should to think? call
5: yeah one more fun fact Okay. Um, I called you guys first time during the draft and I told you I was from the Florida Keys and you guys were talking about alligators and Paul mm. well, I guess has a story about that I wanted to give you a fun fact the Florida Keys are the only place in the whole country that had alligators and crocodiles
0: there we go i have to send the Tino there Pete I appreciate it thanks for the <laughs> call pal I've actually heard really nice things about the Florida Keys I heard it's really really nice there Oh, uh,
1: alligators now, now, and
0: crocodiles. You were afraid of the gators when you were doing your Jacksonville walk, right? That's when you were afraid of them? Yes,
1: it? yes. The uh, concierge sent me to walk through a swamp.
0: You must have been really annoying. I was not happy. Well, well you must have annoyed the concierge, though, and that's why he sent you to well, swamp. Well, let's put it I this hope way. you never come back. I
1: had a couple of words with him when I got back. Did you really? Oh, I asked him about what, what was that all about, and he didn't have much to say.
0: He was disappointed when he walked back in the door. I know. With, with all your limbs in place. <laughs> exactly. Final call of the show, and then I'll get to some of your tweets as Charlie in Portland, Maine. Hey,
2: Charlie. Hey, gentlemen. Hey, Tanny um, only uh, threw 14 passes. In an NFL game, he completed mm-hmm. ten, of, 10 of them. Now, Charlie, you know what? You,
0: uh, real quick, I want to add to it because Jason sure. Huntawell on Twitter actually had a similar point. I want to bring it up real quick. You realize Alex Tammy has played in only one career game. That isn't a proven NFL quarterback at the end of his career being a mentor. What has he done worth listening to if you're a young quarterback eventually looking to start? Thanks, guys. So I think he's making a similar point, but now you can go ahead and, and, and finish yours.
2: Yeah, well, I would just like I said before, I think if Daniel Jones can't beat that guy out for the second quarterback, then he's not. Then they made a mistake. That's the way I see it. That's ridiculous,
1: Charlie. That's ridiculous. Daniel no, Jones is—he's so. no, no, a—he's—he's a rookie, and and you don't force feed the rookie and accelerate his learning curve and development just for the sake of doing it. If Daniel Jones doesn't get consideration for the number two spot because he's not ready for, let's say, until October,
0: there's nothing wrong with that. It means it's ridiculous, and Charlie, it isn't. And it, it isn't his physical skill set. Look, I can already tell watching him on the field. Jones has a better arm than Tanny, and he's more accurate. There's no than Tanny. question. But the question he's is whether or not. Too. Right, he's more mobile as well. The question is whether or not he's able to handle Pick everything, everything mentally. Correct. And
2: yeah. Well, uh, what Sherman's saying, this guy is picking everything up, and he's very smart, and blah right. blah blah. It's so, me you know charlie it's me i I understand that but i'm saying i i my opinion is if he can't beat out that guy then he has a problem and i'm not saying it's the end of his career i'm just saying i think they really want him to pick things up just i mean just like sherman said i want him to be able to start day one so charlie let me say this a little fail if he doesn't End up being the second string quarterback. Charlie, let me say this. Beale, no, Charlie, real quick, real
0: quick, real quick, Charlie. Let, 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 I'm going to add yeah. to that real quick. If yeah. we get to the week. The
2: thing about Beal is. Or not. Let's see if he hits somebody and his his shoulder doesn't pop no, out. No, that's fair we too. We don't know anything about that until he actually hits somebody. 100%. So.
0: Did we claim to, to be the guys who fixed his shoulder? Did, Charlie, you're 100% <laughs> right. And, and, and Beale said that when he talked to the media the other day. So right. you're right, until we get into a game, and this isn't even practice, you got to get into a All game right. now. And see if that shoulder holds up. We're not going to know. That good, good no, news though. Hundred percent. They drafted
5: exactly.
0: They
1: drafted, including Beal. They've got four rookie corners. Don't forget Tony the Lip. Tony okay. the Lip's going to make this team. Lip. Who knows? But the bottom line is, at least they've got guys to choose from. So if Beal should happen to re-injure it,
0: and please don't even think that, Charlie. But they've got guys <laughs> they can turn to. And Charlie, yeah. I want I want to add something else to your first point. If we get to week fourteen or fifteen and Daniel Jones hasn't emerged as a number two there quarterback, then I'm going to be concerned. Okay, I'm with John on that 100%. Then, then I'm right. then I'm going to be like, ooh, boy, that, that's probably not the best sign. But First, if, we're, if we're sitting here in, yeah. week in September, then no, I'm not going to worry about it. October, I'm going to be like, all right, I want to start seeing it soon. November, I'll get nervous. December, I'll be scared. I agree totally.
2: Hey, Is that uh, fair? You guys check out the guy from uh, the uh, Canadian Football League. He's the defensive end. I can't remember his name. But uh, he uh, is going to be a guy that I think uh, might make the team. You're find any.
0: Pressure. You going uh, to so find any French players who went with French-Canadian <laughs> players
2: this year? <laughs> is that what His it is? His name is Casillas or Casada or something like he that. He still
1: thinks Dobley going to make the team. Well, that's why I brought up the French players. <laughs> <laughs> oh, charlie charlie thank Sometimes, you charlie man. He's,
2: for him. he's like he's like the 71 you know remember Tom tomleson or uh, what, what you know he came in he was high motor he you know came in and always got sacks for us well this guy i think is going to be the charlie when you dude. talk
1: number 71 to me it's bob lertzema just remember that
2: <laughs> Ooh, have a good day that's
5: that's a
0: long time ago it sure thank is you, charlie <laughs> bye, I, I'm, bye. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna show my age i don't know who that is
1: Bob Lurzenberg played on the Giants late 60s, early 70s. He was a defensive tackle. Six foot six. He was a very, very tall fella. Later played for the Minnesota Vikings and the Seattle Seahawks. He was a good player. Short short Giants career. Had most of his games with the Vikings.
0: Don't know who that is.
1: All right, well, he was number 71.
0: I don't want to add this, too. God, you can have a player help be a mentor even if he hasn't played a ton in the league. And Correct. maybe he won't be able to help Daniel Jones with some of the on-the-field stuff, but in terms of understanding a playbook, executing it, what reads to make, how to make those reads, and the mechanics of it, you can be helpful with that. You know, the problem with a guy like Tanny, mentally he might get everything. He might be an A-plus quarterback mentally, but physically he can't translate it to the field. So if he can teach Daniel Jones, who has the physical ability to translate that to the field, that can still help the guy.
1: Well, and vice versa, if the Giants are early in the season and still in the middle of, of a tight division race and Eli goes down, the last thing Pat Sherman's going to want to do is throw Daniel Jones into the deep end of the pool if he is not mentally prepared to handle the game. He's going to want a game manager. And you could talk all you want about Alex Tanney not throwing very many active passes in the league. But he's been around the NFL and has studied playbooks and is a pseudo-coach, which you've just described. He's going to go in there and
0: he'll be a game manager. He's not going to screw it up. Here's how I look at it, Paul. If they feel confident enough that they could insert Daniel Jones into the starting lineup... And not reduce the playbook Then Daniel Jones will be the number two I agree If they feel like they have to reduce the game plan Reduce the playbook Simplify the scheme And change the way they play Then it's going to be Tanny
1: And realistically I also agree with what you said before It would be until probably late October Early November Before I started to blink my eyes And say are you sure Daniel Jones isn't ready yet? Correct
0: and we, guys, we didn't have a discussion about this before the show. We're not at all. So no. Yeah, no. I'm with you. And frankly, what would you put the odds right now? Who's the backup week one? I
1: would say Tanny's the favorite. The heavy favorite. You
0: think 70-30? Probably 80-20. 80-20, huh? I think it's more like 65-35. You know? 60 I mean, if
1: Jones totally blows them away during the preseason. See, because
0: he's so good mentally, Paul, and it's such a strength for him, and he added... Pro style coaching in college, where he did protections at Duke, when a lot of rookie quarterbacks don't. I feel like he's going to be more ready to take over quicker than maybe some other guys. Maybe by week four, that
1: would be quicker. That's true. I just don't. I just don't necessarily see him being pushed to the degree where it's going to be week one. I could see it taking a few weeks. You anyway. could
0: be right. A.J. Marshall, fact or fiction? A.J. Alec Ogletree is going to lead the team in tackles this season with Landon Collins not on the roster. Fact or fiction. And no snacks either, by the way. He was always up near the top in tackles.
5: Mm. I'll
0: have to give that one to Salamone to put in fact or fiction at some point. This is a good one, John. I I think
1: it's going to be Peppers. See? What if they put Peppers more in coverage than they put Collins? Collins was so much in the box... He used to collect a lot of stats Mm, and tackles because he was down in the box so much. I think
0: Peppers is going to be in the box a lot, too, and he's going to cover. I think he's going to play a lot of man-to-man. Look, he was lined up with Evan Ingram a ton on Tuesday. but
1: that's my point. He's going to be in pass coverage more than Collins was because he's capable of handling some of those coverage snaps, which means they're going to take him out of the play some more.
0: Yeah, but on run plays, you're not covering anybody. That's the point.
1: no. Peppers and Ogletree would be my two favorites if I had a bet.
0: But I'm not sure who's going to nose out the other. And Ogletree is a three-down linebacker for them, so he'll be on the field a ton. Well, that's my point. BC the Grim, bold predictions. Giants lose week one, first couple weeks with the team. uh, First couple weeks, the teams with the least turnover and changes on defense usually win. Giants relying on a bunch of rookies, and he's a little worried about that.
1: Well, the first four games are Dallas, Buffalo, Tampa Bay, and Washington.
0: Yep, Dallas and Tampa on the road, Buffalo and Washington at home.
1: I'm going to be honest with you. I, I'm not intimidated by those first four.
0: I'll tell you this. If, if they don't end September at at least 2-2, two two and, and two. Two, I'd be very, very concerned.
1: And I think 2-2 two and two is very plausible. I In think, fact,
0: I, I wouldn't be shocked if they went 3-1. I one. think 3-1 and one is possible. I think 2-2 two and two is very realistic.
1: You've heard me say this every single year, John. You get through the first four games, two and two, you turn it into a 12-game schedule, and you go from there. To me, that is always the bare minimum requirement. You want to be at least two and two through the first four games to give yourself a realistic chance of doing something with the rest of the schedule. You don't want to start one and three and have to dig out of a hole with a shovel going into the second month of the season.
0: Paul, good stuff. It's been fun. Thank you for joining us for Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light right here on Giants.com. For Paul Dottino, I am John Schmelk We'll see you next time, everybody. Have a great day.